You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Our episode immediately before this was about war. Now we're turning our attention to what happened when war does occur. In 1938 and 39, with war looming in Europe, desperate Jewish parents sent tens of thousands of children on trains to Britain. You probably shed a tear as you watch the historical background, as you listen to the sounds of children crying, the personal stories of people who made it happen, the children who escaped the Holocaust, and people who took them in because the Jews are the people of God. The Bible verses quoted are illuminating in this episode. This episode is called Kinder Transport, the part Christadelphians played during World War II. We're going to be thinking a little about what went wrong and brought about a situation so terrible that kinder transport was needed. We're going to think also of what motivated the people who tried to help, what motivated them to try to help those descendants of Abraham. Now, if you saw this advertisement, part of a whole column of adverts that appeared regularly in The Guardian in 1939. And just think how desperate parents would have to be to be placing adverts like these. We'll read just the first one there. Guarantee and hospitality in good family sought for pretty, well-educated, healthy, eight-year-old girl daughter of a Czech engineer, and you were to reply to a box number in the Manchester Garden. So this is a family in Czechoslovakia wanting to send their eight-year-old daughter away now to, to live with strangers and begging for help. And you can imagine how desperate you would have to be if you were in that situation, sending your child away to unknown people. But things were pretty desperate. Kinder transport is simply German for child transport, and it was a rescue effort in the months leading up to the Second World War. And Britain actually was the only country that was prepared to take Jewish children. Every other country closed their borders and said, don't send them here. It's rather like nowadays we see the refugees trying to escape from war zones in Syria or from religious persecution in Iran. But no country really wants them in this country. We try very hard to keep them out. But back in 
1938, Britain agreed to take Jewish children and around uh, 10,000 children arrived here in those months from Germany and Austria and Czechoslovakia and Poland and Danzig. We now know Danzig as Gdansk. It's now in Poland, but before the Second World War, it was a little German-speaking enclave. And the Jews there were being persecuted. And so Britain agreed to allow the children to come here, and they were placed in foster homes and hostels. And most of the families they left behind didn't survive. The British government agreed to allow them in without visas, without the normal paperwork, provided there was a guarantee of 50 pounds. Doesn't sound very much in modern money. 2,600, 2,700 pounds for each child to pay for them to go home again when the emergency was over and that there were foster parents already waiting who were willing to take them in. They'd got to be under the age of 18, but that was hugely better than any other country. United States, for instance, went to great lengths to keep them out. I'm going to tell you about one particular family. We became interested when my wife, Jill, found this letter. Jill helped at Olivet, our care home in Birmingham, and she befriended uh, an elderly sister called Hazel Fawcett. She was quite disabled, and Jill used to visit her every week and help her write her letters at Hazel's dictation. And some of the letters were to the Jewish children that Hazel's parents had fostered, children who arrived in the kinder transport program. And after Hazel died, Jill had to clear out her things and she found this letter written from uh, Zabra, in Susilova, in the Protectorate, in Czechoslovakia. And it's dated, we think the date's probably wrong, but it's dated 7th of August, 1939. And uh, this letter was from the mother of the two children that the Fawcett family, a Christadelphian family, had taken in. They had escaped these two children on the very last kinder transport train to make it out of Czechoslovakia. And Jill knew where the children were. They were grown up now. In fact, the boy was a grandfather now living in Australia. The girl was living in Israel. And Jill wondered whether they'd like to have a letter that their mother had written what is it, 70 or 80 years earlier, uh, saying how much she loved them. It's a very ordinary letter. She's saying, thank you for taking my children in. Please make them eat their greens. We, we've been, they've been excluded from school here because they're Jewish. 
we hope they, they may be able to go to school in your country. We had to prepare for them to leave. We didn't have much time. We threw what we got into a suitcase. It, it may not be the right things, but you as a mother can imagine how we felt um, sending our children away. She says, may the good God bless you for your kindness. So Jill sent this letter, or rather we photocopied it and uh, we sent it electronically to Karel uh, in Karel Borger, they call him Charles now, in Australia. And there's a bit more to that story, I'll tell you a little bit later. But he and his sister were on the last kinder transport train to escape. So they lived in Zabra in Czechoslovakia, there it is, in north of Czechoslovakia. It, it happened that in, let me see, September 1938, the British Prime Minister, Neville Chamberlain, had a meeting with Hitler. Chamberlain was desperate to avoid war and he agreed that Hitler desperately wanted to take the, what they called Sudetenland. It was the northern part of Czech Republic. It was the, uh, the German-speaking part of Czechoslovakia, and Chamberlain agreed, well, if we don't object to you taking that part of Czechoslovakia, do you promise you won't take any more land in Europe? And Hitler said, oh, yes, yes, I agree. And Chamberlain came back with his piece of paper, I bring peace in our time. And the following month, the uh, Germans took over that part of Czechoslovakia, and because no one objected, they then took over the Rhineland, uh, the buffer zone between Germany and Holland and France, and because nobody did anything about that, then they took over Poland, and that really launched the Second World War. And the Jews in all those German-occupied territories were in very grave danger, because we weren't far from Kristallnacht when Hitler launched terrible revenge on the Jews for what he perceived as their misdemeanors. That was November 1938, and people did then start acting. Just five days later, the British Prime Minister received a large delegation of people begging him to allow Jewish children to come to Britain. And five days later, the Home, and Se Home Secretary received an even larger de delegation, and they had news. They had been busy in the five days, and they had promised to put up the money for the guarantees for these children. The government was demanding a 50 pound guarantee and they were also uh, promising to find foster homes. The government actually, they were surprised to find, the government had already carried out research 
and knew, to their surprise, that Jewish parents in Nazi countries would let their children go. They realized how great was the danger in keeping them, and they would let them go, provided Britain would take them. So the very next day, uh, an act passed through Parliament approving this new law, allowing Jewish children under 18, without any paperwork, to come to Britain. And what's that? Ten days later, the first trainload of them left Berlin, 200 Jewish children. The following day, 2nd of December 1938, they arrived in this country at the port of Harwich. And foster parents had to be found for all those children. Just over a week later, a train carrying 600 children left Vienna. This was arranged by an amazing woman called Gertrude Weissmuller-Meyer. She was a Dutch lady and she'd heard of the situation in Austria. So she w went to Austria and demanded to see the military governor and it was Adolf Eichmann. And she demanded that he allow children to leave and go to safety. Britain's prepared to accept them. And he said, yes, okay, provided you can take 600, no more, no fewer, and provided they can go by this weekend. And he was absolutely certain she had no chance of arranging in that time to get 600 Jewish children packed and ready to go with their parents' approval, but she was a power to be reckoned with. And so the, uh, the train left and 600 children left Austria. 500 of them made it to this country, the other 100 were found foster homes in Netherlands. So they were coming at first from Germany and Austria and in February 1939, the government, rather than asking for a guarantee of 50 pounds, they demanded an actual payment of 50 pounds for each child, equivalent to a lot more in modern money. Although the former prime minister, Stanley Baldwin, actually set, about a fund, set up a fund to collect money to pay those deposits. And the Christadelphians contributed, the Christadelphians immediately contributed 1,250 pounds, that's 65,000, 70,000 pounds in modern money, which was a lot of money to raise in a short time. And so February and August of 1939, trains were leaving Poland with Jewish children heading for this country and in March 1939, the first successful train left Prague in Czechoslovakia. And the particular family that we have an interest in were on a train from Prague. The 2nd of August in that year, 1939, almost exactly a month before the invasion of Poland, which started the Second World War was the last of the trains from Prague 
and the, the two children we're talking about, Edith and Carol, were on that very last train to make it out. And on 10th of May 1940, the last uh, kinder transport of all left Holland. Again, it was Mrs. Weissmuller, uh, who, uh, Meyer, who arranged that, and she got 74 children out on a ship from Holland. She had the opportunity to leave herself on the train and escape, on the boat and escape, but she chose to stay behind. Now, you're all Greek scholars, I know, so you'll be able to read this. Um, thing to remember is that in Greek, the upside-down Y is the letter lambda, which is pronounced L. So you can read it, it says, holokaustos. And it's really made up of two Greek words, holos, meaning whole, and kaustos, meaning burnt. So, holy burnt. It's a burnt offering, something that's wholly burnt. And that's what we've come to call what was going on in the Nazi countries at that time, the Nazi-dominated countries, happening to the Jews. They were becoming a holy burnt offering. They'd become a holocaust. The uh, word comes to English through Latin and French. And it resulted in Jews being taken like cattle by train to the death camps. This is Auschwitz. And of course, it had been foretold in Deuteronomy. We read from Genesis the wonderful promise to Abraham. You and your descendants are to have this land and there will be blessing for every family of the world. And there was a covenant, an agreement, a contract. Abraham's descendants, the Jewish people, they were told, if you promise to be faithful to God, he will protect you and defend you and feed you and you will remain in your land. And if you don't, then terrible things will happen. And they said, yes, yes, we'll do it, we'll obey. But sadly, they weren't able to. And... In Deuteronomy chapter 28, it, it tells us, God tells them what will happen if they're unfaithful. Verse 15, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. What curses? The Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone which neither you nor your fathers have known. Now they were pushed like cattle into these trains. Among these nations you shall find no respite and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes, and a languishing soul. I always find this picture uh, particularly distressing. The, the men have been taken away on arrival at the death camp, and the women and children queuing up. They don't know for what. Although, do you notice at the back of the queue, there's a lady who's noticed the camera. And what do you do when you see a camera? 
you, you smile. There's a lady smiling at the camera, but really they were queuing up to die. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. And this picture as well, you, you, you see the front row, second from the right, and man being held up by two other men. I wonder if they're his sons. You know, the men were taken off to work, and if they couldn't work, they were put to death. And so in the morning, line up and take away those who are not fit for work and kill them. So they are the lining up and holding up their, their friend who can't stand up on his own. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, if only it were morning, because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And of course the parents who suspected that this is what was coming were begging people to take their children. And these kinder transport trains were arranged to take them to, eventually, to Britain. These words that Simon read for us, go from your country, your kindred, to the land that I will show you, I'll make of you a great nation, bring blessing, I'll bless those who bless you, him who dishonors you I will curse. And did anybody dishonor God's people, the Jews, and were they cursed? Well, of course, Hitler did all he could to destroy them and certainly that prophecy came too he true he was cursed but there's the other part of it I will bless those who bless you so God promised all people everywhere if you bless Abraham and his descendants then God will bless you so people had that motivation to help so here's the words of one of the refugees, a woman called Esther Golan. She wrote, in 1939, I was put on the kinder transport, sent to England. I was actually sent to Whittingham Castle on Lord Balfour's, Balfour's estate in Scotland. Trouble was, you see, that um, foster homes hadn't been found for all of them, but Everyone was willing to take in a pretty little girl, a bit less willing to take in a little boy, and a lot less willing to take in a big boy. This girl, in fact, she was 15. She says, Jewish and non-Jewish families took in the younger children, but I was already 15. Nobody wanted a 15-year-old. So those for whom there was no... Uh, no foster home, they were sent to Scotland to Lord Balfour's uh, castle. These are words by a Christadelphian sister who helped. She first of all describes the evacuation of British children from the great cities during the Blitz. Children were taken away from their homes in the cities in this country and sent to the country. Many of us have been touched recently by the sight of child evacuees fleeing from our great cities to the more remote parts of the country, but have you ever seen that far more tragic spectacle 
a transport of Jewish refugees arriving from the continent. Imagine yourself then in the gymnasium at Liverpool Street Station. Two by two, the children file into the space behind the ropes, tramping in heavy boots and laden with bundles, the older ones carrying or leading the toddlers who slept on their knees during the tedious journey, here a bedraggled baby in tears, pulling the luggage label tied round her neck, another drooping with weariness, sitting on a case, leaning her curly head against the suitcase, stoop down and touch those curls, here a baby voice repeats sleepily the only English word she knows, her parents have taught them her. How are you? My name is Susanna. Please, thank you. Sort of English the parents taught in the gallery. Tragic faces stared down, haggard, inured to suffering and disappointment. Refugee parents who escaped from Germany, hoping their children might have made it too. One man pushes through the barrier, through, throws his arms around a little boy, holds him close, fondles him, pleads not to be ejected. Papa, cries the boy, a single happy ending among so much tragedy. Sister Gladys was able to help because she had a motor car, so she, on behalf of the Christadelphians, helped collect the children from the station and take them to Christadelphian families who were taking them in. And why did they do it? Well, here's an instruction in the Old Testament. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we didn't know this, does he not, doesn't he who weighs the heart perceive it? If you say, behold, we didn't know this, I'm oh, sorry, I read that bit. Doesn't he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? So it wasn't, of course, just Christadelphians who were involved. There's this man who was actually a British spy. His name was Frank Foley. He, he was an academic, really, a linguist. But during the Second World War, the First World War, they made him a spy and he stayed on as the chief British spy in Germany and in charge of British intelligence. And he worked nominally as a passport officer and he actually used that to help Jews after Hitler came to power. This man bent the rules and issued visas for over 10,000 German Jews. This isn't the children. The children were allowed out without visas, but he gave visas to come to Britain to 10,000 German Jews. He actually went into the internment camps to find them and bring them out. He hid them in his own home and he forged passports for them. The Israeli government called him a Scarlet Pimpernel. Working with him was this man, Wilfred Israel, a German Jew, who could see what was coming. He actually warned the British government in advance about Kristallnacht, and through Frank Foley, the spy we just talked about, he informed British intelligence what was going on and begged the British government to do something about it. And he arranged for British Quakers to visit 
the Jews in Germany in 1938 so that they'd be able to satisfy the British government that Jewish parents would let their children go if only Britain would accept them. That's how the British government knew they would come. This man sadly didn't survive the war. Now most of us have heard of Nicholas Winton and he was born, you notice, in 1909. So in 1938, he was still in his 20s. He was of German Jewish descent and he was planning to go on a skiing holiday in Switzerland in 1938, but he received a call from a friend in Czechoslovakia saying, we need your help, Nicholas. The British are prepared to accept the Jew, Jewish children, but we need somebody with your organizing ability to, to make it happen. So this young man in his 20s gave up his holiday and went instead to Prague, set up uh, an office in the dining room of his hotel and started arranging transport to get the children to safety. And he set his mother to work in this country arranging foster families for those who arrived. He also fired off letters to politicians asking for their help. He arranged the trains from Prague. They had to pass through the Netherlands because the Germans said, yes, we'll let the Jewish children go to Britain, provided they don't go through German ports. Germany was preparing for war and it didn't want its seaports clogged up with boatloads of Jewish children. Provided they don't go through German ports, we'll let them go. So they had to go through Holland. So from Czechoslovakia, where, where this particular part of kinder transport was working, he sent them to the German border across Germany to Holland and then the idea was to go through Holland to Rotterdam and get a ship to Britain. And he arranged the train, but as I mentioned earlier, every country in the world had closed its borders to Jews trying to escape and Holland wouldn't let them in. So young Winton, as I said, in his 20s, he uh, was horrified his train had been sent back into Germany he hot-foot over to Holland and at the age of 29 he managed to persuade the Dutch government to change its mind and let the, uh, the kinder transport trains through. And in those months he managed to arrange nine trains and saved 669 Jewish children. After the war he uh, went on to do other things and never mentioned it again, but in 1988, his wife was clearing up the attic and said, what are these papers, Nicholas? And he said, oh, it's something I did during the war, really. I'd have liked to have given these children their papers, but I'm not in touch with them. I don't know where they are. And his wife knew someone at the BBC, and she said, well, we'll get the BBC to, to make an appeal for them to get in touch. And the BBC agreed, and 
Nicholas Winton was invited to the BBC studios in London. It was actually on television. Some of you will have seen it. It was really a very, a very moving program when Esther Ranson told the story of the kinder transport. And she said, actually, uh, Nicholas Winton is here today. And he was sitting in the audience, as you are quite unaware when suddenly the camera turned round and it was pointing at him in the front row and he found himself on television unexpectedly and as Sir Ranson said and actually he doesn't know it but the lady sitting next to him is one of the children he saved and he was very surprised by that and she flung her arms round him and then the announcer said and actually if there's anybody else in the audience who was on the train saved by Nicholas Winton, please stand up. And the entire audience stood up. So it was, it, it was very moving to watch. And so his work became known and uh, he became Sir Nicholas and he met the Queen. He was actually a conscientious objector back in 1939, though he gave up on that and joined the RAF. And this is a Christadelphian, Brother Alan Overton, who was a Christadelphian in Rugby, who followed Jewish affairs very closely. And immediately after Kristallnacht in 1938, he set up a committee of Christadelphians to do what they could to help. First of all, to raise those 50 pound pledges and also families to take the children in. So he appealed for helpers through the Christadelphian magazine. And that's how a great many Christadelphian families in this country ended up taking in Jewish children, Jewish refugees during the war. At first he didn't have much help, only two offers of help at first, but, and he was working almost single-handed but soon others joined him. He traveled very frequently to London to meet the boat trains as they arrived with children, Jewish children, and he delivered them to their foster homes. His own home in Rugby became a transit center, and the Christadelphian community rallied to help, and a great many Christadelphian families took in a child. Most felt able to take a little girl Teenage boys were more of a problem. People were a bit wary about taking a teenage boy, but they had to find an answer. So a brother arranged for a home for them. First, a, a little place in Rugby, which accommodated nine teenage boys, and later the uh, hostel in Birmingham, which took in a larger number. So. Christadelphian families took in Jewish refugees during the war and also they provided these hostels for those for whom there were no homes found. They had agreed that they wouldn't try to convert the Jewish children, but some of them nevertheless accepted the truth. Most of them arrived, can you see at the left-hand side of that slide, the... Uh, the luggage labels, many of them had just that luggage label uh, tied to them to say who they were. So we talked a little bit about Kristallnacht. Hitler came to power in 1933 
but he set about rounding up the Jews, making an excuse of uh, the assassination of a German by a Jew, and the reprisals included Kristallnacht, when synagogues and Jewish homes were vandalized and burned. Those children who were taken away from their parents, were they damaged? Well, they were damaged. They suffered terrible trauma, leaving their children, presented in various different ways. First, of course, the parting from their parents and how it was explained to them, you're going for an exciting adventure or you've just a short trip, we'll see you soon. And younger children tended to scream and cling to their parents at the station and it was heartbreaking for the parents to push them onto the train. Older children more willing to accept it, but they soon realized they weren't going to see their parents again. They had to learn new language. Uh, they weren't understood if they spoke their own language, live with strangers, all very traumatic. At school, can you imagine, during the war, you're a child in school in this country, your country is at war with Germany, and a little German boy or girl arrives in your class. How do you uh, behave towards them? There was trauma there. And very few parents escaped, nearly all of them murdered. The older children very soon realized what was going on, and as the news was coming in about the war, they were desperately worried about their parents, and when they heard about the Holocaust, they worked out what had happened. So it affected children deeply, and sometimes the foster parents were maiden ladies or childless couples who didn't really know how, had no experience of dealing with children, and a damaged child was particularly difficult to deal with. There weren't always happy endings, but you may know this Christadelphian book, Living Stones, which has the stories of individuals, and our sister Inga Beecham there, near the top left of the picture, she writes in this book her story. There she is, sadly, she died of COVID earlier this year, was it? Uh, but she was on one of those trains and she tells her story in that book, Living Stones. I was a child of 10 on the November night, later known as Kristallnacht. My parents were in business, they owned a department store, but they were Jewish, they went to the synagogue and my father was arrested. My mother and my sister and I moved to Berlin for safety. Many Jewish children were able to come to Britain. My sister and I traveled to Rotterdam, then to Birmingham, where there were Christadelphians waiting. My sister went to live with family called the Hoverts. I went to stay with the Day family. Uh, they had girls older than me. They, her foster father bought her a dictionary, which she treasured. I wrote to my mother in Berlin, she said, if the Christadelphians had been good enough to take us in, their beliefs must be good enough too. My father died in custody. My mother died in Auschwitz. We went to Birmingham Central meeting. I was baptized in 1947 when I was 18. And 
the Day family had another Jewish refugee. She was baptized as well. So the children looked cheerful enough, but it must have been a terrible time for them, a terrible time for their parents. I said I'd tell you a little bit more about Edith and Carl. There's a brother down in London, brother Simon Foster. By the time Jill was finding the letter from Edith and Carl's parents, her, their mother, brother Foster was looking at his father's old cine films and looking at the cine film there were his parents and there was a mysterious girl he didn't know he said well who was that but his dad had put some titles in the film and it said Karel and Edith from Moravia thought, who on earth are they why are they in my dad's film there's Karel there he is with his sister Edith Edith there they are who are there and then he realized they must be the Jewish refugee children his auntie had taken in he thought well I wonder where they are now and uh, whether they'd like to see this film no possible way of finding out except that I had put in response to an appeal in our ecclesia for some little snippets of news to put on the website of the ecclesia I've written a little paragraph of how Jill had found this letter and had been able to send it to the children now living, one in Australia, one in Israel. And a brother, a Christadelphian brother in California was musing and wondering. He'd heard about the persecution of Jews. He heard a bit about kinder transport. He wondered if the Christadelphians knew, did anything in those days so he googled Christadelphians kinder transport and it brought up only one result it brought up our ecclesial website the paragraph I'd written about this letter so the brother in California phoned Jill up and said what can you tell me about this do you know any more of these refugees can you put me in touch and Jill said well I can why don't you put an announcement on, what's it called, Christadelphia and Announce, you know the website, Simon Hodgson's website. And he'd never heard of it. They don't uh, know about uh, the internet in America, apparently. Uh, but anyway, Jill told him, so he put an announcement there. And the brother in London saw it and phoned him up and, and said, I've got this film, I don't suppose you know anything about these. And the American brother said, I spoke to them yesterday on the phone. Sister Jill MacDonald put me in touch with them. So, Carl and Edith ended up getting not only a letter their mother had written 80 years earlier, but also a film of themselves as children. The BBC in London got to hear of this and they thought it was rather a nice story. Ah, there's Sister Hazel Fawcett and her brother and the sister Hazel, the little girl there, she was the old lady who died in Olivet a few years ago. Um, the BBC thought it was a nice story, so they made a programme about it on Radio 4. The letter, I, I shan't read it to you. I, it's a very straightforward, ordinary letter, but it always makes me cry. I've got it with me if you'd like to have a look at it afterwards. 
So that went out on the BBC. And there's Edith with Brother Simon Foster. Edith with her daughter came over to this country and met Simon. And there's Carol, the little boy who escaped on the train. Well, that's him with his wife and his granddaughter on her wedding day. So many Christadelphians helped those children. Nicholas Winton, well, he wasn't a Christadelphian. He lived to 106. So that last train from Prague, Carol and Edith Borger were on board. Their uncle, who arranged for them to be on the train, well, he, uh, he perished in the death camp with the parents. And there was another train, but it didn't leave the station. It was going on the day that war broke out and only two of the 250 children on it survived the war. Though 70 years later, they arranged another train to commemorate it. And so in the station at Prague, there's a statue of the kinder transport children and there's a matching statue in Liverpool Street Station in Britain, in London, to commemorate these days. The Christadelphians played a small part, but why did they do it? Incidentally, the brother in America, he has written a book, in fact, two books about it, part of a family, part of the family, volumes one and two. Um, <coughs> quite a number of books about kinder transport, but why did they do it? Well, God promised blessing to Abraham's descendants and everybody who was associated with them. So we want to be associated with them. Could it ever happen again? Are we more civilized now? It's very sad that tragedies still happen at this late stage. The only answer to it all is in Psalm 72, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy. We have uh, an organization called Save the Children. I don't know if they know. It's a quote from the Bible. But really, it's only the Lord Jesus Christ who can save the children of the needy to break in pieces the oppressor Deliver the needy when he cries, the poor, and him who has no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy. He shall save the souls of the needy. He'll redeem their soul from deceit and violence. Precious shall their blood be in his sight. So that's the story of kinder transport and how the Christadelphians tried to help. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. 
If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.